0: me say pleasure but um, you have got me so I do apologize. We're going to look at Luke chapter five. Luke chapter five. It's never good when your watch tells you your heart rate's really high and you're not doing much. It's quite terrifying. We're going to look at chapter five and we're going to do verses one to sixteen. We'll see how far we get. And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Genesaret, or that's otherwise known as the lake of Tiberius. If you go to John uh, chapter 21, I think it is, the Sea of Galilee, uh, which Jim shows a map of the other week, which is John 6. And if you're reading in the Old Testament, particularly in Joshua at the time, you'll know it as the Sea of Genanoroth or Genanoref, depending which book you're in at the time, either Numbers or Joshua. So he's at the lake of Genezaret. We've toiled all night and have taken nothing nevertheless at thy word I will let down the net and when they had done this they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their net broke and they beckoned unto their partners which were in the other ship that they should come and help them and they came and filled both the ships so that they began to sink when Simon Peter saw it he fell down at Jesus's knees saying Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. And he was astonished. And all that were with him at the draught of the fishes which they had taken. And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. That's a different word, by the way, partners here, to the one we read in verse 7. Just remember that. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. And it came to pass, when he was at a certain city, behold, a man full of leprosy, who, seeing Jesus, fell on his face and besought him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And he put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will be thou clean. And immediately the leprosy departed from him, and he charged him to tell no man, but go and show thyself to the priest, and offer for thy cleansing, according as Moses commanded, for a testimony unto them. But so much the more went their fame abroad of him, and great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities. And he withdrew himself into the wilderness and prayed. And that will be our reading for this morning. There's a danger when you're going through a book executive like this that the person who speaks next can fall into the trap of giving you an overview again of the book. I am not going to fall into that trap. I'm going to jump into it. Because it really explains how my mind works. I like to understand how a book is structured first before I can really start to understand the lessons that I can pick out and applications from the passage. So I've broken the the chapter into five sections, five sections. I'm using it as a time frame. So the first section I've called Preparation. That's a space of around about 30 years, okay? And we've seen that already from chapter 1 all the way to chapter 4, verse 13, okay? That's really when we have the Lord Jesus Christ as an infant, as a 12-year-old boy, and we see what happens in these 30-year time. The next time is in relation to about a year and a half. And this is where we are now in these passages, verses four, uh, chapter 4, verse 14, all the way to chapter 9, verse 50. And I would suggest that you can call that Identification. And if you go through that passage, what you'll see is that the Lord Jesus Christ is identifying who he truly is. He has authority to, to, to talk. He has authority to, to command men to follow him because of who he is. And he identifies that mainly by miracles. So you go through that passage, you'll see there's a lot of miracles which identify the Lord Jesus Christ and who he is. The next passage is around about six months. From chapter 9, verse 51, all the way to chapter 19, verse 26, 27, I think. That's education. I've called that education because as you go through that passage, you really see the Lord Jesus Christ talking about parables. And he's educating people, particularly the nation of Israel at that time. So preparation, identification, education. And then we get a next section which we call the culmination of the whole event. All right, and that's round about eight days, and that comes to Calvary, and I'm including his death and his resurrection. The culmination of everything the Lord Jesus Christ came into this world to do. And then, lastly, it's about forty-day period. That's his ascension, and that's in just chapter. Well, that's a space of three verses, Luke twenty-four verses fifty to fifty-three. So where we are at this precise time, moment of time is in the identification stage. The Lord Jesus Christ is seeking to show his authority and to show people that he is this chosen Messiah. As Jim spoke to us last Sunday, he remember he spoke, he said, now is his day fulfilled. The Messiah is here. He's going to show him and the people of Israel and us as we read it, that he is that chosen Messiah. And if you want the verse to hang Luke's gospel on, go to Luke chapter 24. It reads this, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet, preparation, mighty indeed, identification, and word, education, before God and all the people, the culmination of the whole event and the ascension. So there we have my outline for the gospel of Luke. Now, we come to the outline of chapter 5, okay? You're going to get another one next week, I suspect. But my outline of of, um, chapter 5, my section, you've got the catch, the call, the cleansing, okay? The catch of fish, the call of the disciples, the cleansing of the leper. And I'm going to stop there, and I'll let someone else finish off the next with a couple of Cs if they want to carry on with that. If you haven't got any, I've got some, Okay? But as we go through chapter five, one of the things that I want you to notice when you go home and actually study it for yourself as well, is that there's quite vital teachings that are started going through this section in chapter five. In chapter five, what we discover is that there is a purpose for the miracles that the Lord does. Look at verse twenty four. It says, But that they may know that the Son of Man hath power upon earth to forgive sins. So validation. We have the purpose of the Lord's miracles. First of all, validation, as I said before, of who he really is. And then we have illustration. And we have that in the picture of the lame man and the leper. An illustration, can I suggest, of sin. The fact that this man is diseased, the Lord Jesus Christ, is the only one who could touch this leper and heal him. And the Lord Jesus Christ is the only one who can heal us from our sin, there's none other name given another name, so the purpose of the Lord's miracles again you go through chapter five, what we see is pictures of sin again I've just said that you go and if you like me and you highlight your Bible, just go highlight all the reference to sins and sinners and sin. it permeates this chapter all right, and what we see in this chapter is really what does sin do it distances us from God verse eight, what does verse eight say? it says when Simon saw it he fell down his knees. He says, depart from me I'm a sinful man. Sin distances us from God. But what has the Lord Jesus Christ said to Peter? Fear not. And this morning, if we're Christians, we can take that to ourselves and we can hear the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. Fear not. Fear not. It also defiles us. Sin defiles us. You can go through this picture of disease and it makes us disabled. Now what I mean by that is that we are normally, we, we've been built for a purpose, all right? And sin disables our, us to do our purpose and to fulfill our purpose, which is to bring honor and glory to God. Another picture that you'll see through it, chapter 5, is the price of discipleship. You're going to go away and look at that for yourself and study it and come back and tell me the pictures you see. There's a prediction of Calvary here in chapter 5. It was not in my passage, the next passage, so I'm not going to mention it until you get to next, next week. And then we have, we have the, the pattern, I've called, of opposition. Okay? And remember, the Lord Jesus Christ, we read in uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 44. I'm going to go for the NIV here. It says, Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child, the Lord Jesus Christ, is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against. And we're starting to see that now. We're starting to see that in chapter 5, not in my section, so I'm not going to say too much about it, but in the section after. But you're going to start to notice that the hostility is going to come in to when the Lord Jesus Christ is teaching, which we could take an application to ourselves as well whenever we seek to live for the Lord Jesus Christ. Hostility from others around can come in. Why? Because people don't like what the Lord Jesus Christ taught. So they won't like what we taught. Right. Okay, let's get into it. Uh, First of all, we're going to look at the catch, verses 1 to 9. The catch, okay? Now, can I suggest that this incident is probably not the first time The Lord Jesus Christ has come into contact with Peter, James, and John. All right? Um, Well, we know for a fact because in the previous chapter, um, the Lord Jesus Christ healed Peter's mother in law. All right? But can I suggest also that potentially there's at least three times that the Lord has had contact with these men already? You go to John chapter 1 and you see that Andrew told Peter that he'd found the Messiah. Come and see, come and see, I found the Messiah. Maybe that's the first time. You go to Mark chapter 1, verses 16 to 20, and then Matthew chapter 4. You have Peter and Andrew. They're busy fishing. They're actually fishing at this time. And I'm going to suggest this is a different time for this. Uh, and the Lord calls them, and they go with him to Capernaum and to Galilee, and they start working with him. But they go back to what they're previously doing in their job, which is when we come to Luke chapter 5, verse 1. Here, the Lord calls them now to service, full-time discipleship, can I call it that way, all right? Now, I was talking to a friend I have in Glasgow about this passage, and he did give me a lesson, so I, I can't claim this is mine, but I'm going to give it to you because I like it, I like it. He says, notice, John, that th- Peter is called three times in the gospel. In John chapter 1, he's called to salvation, where he's given a new name, which is going to be linked to his new nature, all right? You can go and look at that for yourself. All right? I'm giving you, giving you bits here that you can put flesh on the bones. Second, he's called to service in Luke chapter 5, where he is given a new work. And then thirdly, he's called to separation in Mark chapter 3, where he is then set apart for a special relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ as an apostle. And the lesson that we could draw out from that really is that all these things happen to us when we're saved? When I put my faith and my trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, I am, the Bible teaches me, a new creation. When I put my faith and my trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, I now have a new service. I don't longer serve for myself, I don't serve to sin, I serve God. I should be seeking to live for Christ. And also, the Bible teaches me that when I'm a Christian, I am set apart. Separated now from the, the formalities and, and, and the, the, the way the world works now. And we're set apart. I'm different. I have a new trajectory. I'm heading to heaven. So I should be living as I'm a citizen of heaven. Does that make sense? Salvation, service, separation. But finally, we're not going to get through this. Let's look at uh, let's actually look at this session, uh, the session, the section. And see what we can get out of it. First of all, notice one thing. I'll quickly wash uh, wash over this because they were washing their nets in verse two. Because I have it on good authority that this was probably mentioned on Thursday uh, when it comes to washing the nets. Just notice an application, right? If the nets weren't washed in these times, bear in mind they're in the Sea of Galilee and we had to chuck their nets out to catch the fish. Okay, this wasn't fishing with a rod. If they weren't washed and they weren't stretched out to dry, they'd rot away and break and they'd be useless. All right. I think the application was made on Thursday, I'm told. All right. If it wasn't, I'm going to say it again. Okay. Could we not use this maybe as a picture of what the Word of God does for us? All right. If we do not spend time studying God's Word and getting to know God's Word, what use are we to be fishers of men? All right. Yes, read it. Great. But if we don't get time to mend it, if we don't actually spend actual time studying it and understanding what it teaches, what use will we be to be fishers of men? Verse 3. It says, The Lord Jesus Christ got into the boat. I find it fascinating, first of all, that Peter actually allowed the Lord to do that. Um, it was his boat. The Lord just got in it, and he let him do that. Maybe because he already had seen what the Lord could do with his mother-in-law. He thought, this man is a powerful man, and I owe him. I'm going to let him have my boat. All right. But what we have here in verse 3 is a captive audience. I'm assuming Peter was in the boat with the Lord Jesus Christ at the time, while the Lord Jesus Christ sat and taught Peter would man the boat. All right. So we had a captive audience. Can I suggest maybe... Maybe, as Peter listened to the words of the Lord Jesus Christ being taught, maybe that helped him to maybe prepare him to accept that he used to do exactly what this man tells him to do. When he listened to the words of Jesus and he saw the authority that he had, just maybe that's why he was willing to cast his nets out in the deep at a time which made no sense whatsoever to him, all right? Application for us? Well, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. You want to increase in faith? We hear, we read the word of God. All right. I mean, if you want, if you again, if you're one of these guys that likes to underline your Bible, okay, just underline these words: launch out into the deep, thrust out a little. In the King James, it says, all right. Next he says, launch out into a deep. The next thing he says, henceforth you will catch fishes of men. You see how the Lord is preparing Peter in that simple way for the work which he's fully going to do later on. Now, the expression launch out into deep at this time, you have to understand in the Sea of Galilee, generally fishing was done at night, all right, because that's when the fish would come to the, the shallower part, and you would chuck your nets out, and that's how you would catch the fish. So for a carpenter to tell a fisherman that he had to cast his net, not just in the daytime, but in the deep end of the sea, would go against all that Peter knew of his teachings and all of his experience of life. All right? So what Peter had to do was actually an act of faith. So... Really, the application is quite clear to us, isn't it? What Peter did was obey what the Lord Jesus Christ said. Now, where's the application for us? When we read the Word of God, what are we to do? Obey it. And by obeying the Word of God, we will see blessing from that. I'm not talking materialistically now. I'm just talking blessings in fullness. You go to Psalm 119. Just read the first nine verses. And you'll see the blessings that come just by understanding God's word, keeping to the statutes of God's word, and the commandments. You'll see that by understanding God's word and obeying it, blessing can come from it. So we have a wonderful lesson in obedience from Peter there. But ultimately, as we've been thinking about this morning, we've been thinking of one who sacrificed and showed obedience to the Father's will. Peter would say, nevertheless, at thy word, I will. Does that remind you of the King James Version where the Lord Jesus Christ would say at the Garden of Gethsemane, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Ultimately, the Lord Jesus Christ is our perfect example to follow. But Peter's not a bad one here to look at as well. Verses 8 to 9, we're getting in, we're going quickly now because I've got five minutes left. Verses 8 to 9, I want to notice um, Peter's response to the Lord Jesus Christ after the fish had been caught. He said, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. And again, Peter's a good example to emulate here. Look at what he said, there is reverence for the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Depart from me, O Lord. There's reflection on his own life and what he is in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am a sinful man. And there's recognition of the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. His Lordship. O Lord, depart from me. Someone has once said that the man who thinks well of himself has never met God. A glimpse of the greatness of the Lord Jesus Christ can produce startling effects, and mainly conviction of guilt. I I can think of three people that came into contact with a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah the prophet himself came into contact with the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he would say, woe is me for I'm a man undone, because I'm a man of unclean lips i live in the land of un- a nation of unclean people woe is me i am undone there's another man which we've just read about in Luke chapter 5 he came into contact with the lord's power and he would say depart from me o lord i'm a sinful man there's another man who came into contact really with the work of the lord jesus christ when you saw the hands and the feet and the nail prints in them, Thomas would say to the Lord Jesus Christ, my Lord and my God. I wonder the challenge can be to us when we're truly in the presence of the Lord and we really think about him, what is our response? What's our response? I'll leave that challenge there because I can't tell you what it should be. I know what mine should be. But I'll leave that challenge with you. When we are presented with who the Lord Jesus Christ is, his glory, his power, his work, what is our response to that? All right? Peter's was to bow down and worship. Isaiah's was to bow down and worship. Thomas was to say, my Lord and my God. All right? But look at the Lord Jesus' response to Simon. I actually, it's one of those, it's one of those moments when you read, you think, "Oh, Peter, don't say that." But then suddenly, the Lord Jesus Christ, knowing Peter, knowing his personality, knowing who he is, he just says simply, "Fear not. Fear not," because the Lord Jesus Christ knew that Peter did not really want this man to depart for him. All right. He simply said, "Fear not," or if you want the Greek, "Stop fearing." All right. Henceforth, you will catch. Fishes of men. So quickly, we've had the catch, we're going to the call. Alright, the call. And it's at this point, after establishing his divine authority by showing his power of the creation itself, of the catch of the fish, that the Lord Jesus Christ then seeks to call Peter, James, and John. Alright? And his response. Well, Peter's response and the response of the sons of Zebedee were to leave everything behind and to follow him. Now, I don't know about you, but that's quite a challenge to me because I'm not entirely sure I would have left everything behind when I just had the best business day of my life. I would be making thousands from these fish that I've just caught, and yet they decided we've had the best business day. This is going to see us set for life. We'll leave it. They forsook all, and they followed Christ. Now, that's a challenge, isn't it? When we think of all that we can accomplish in this world, do we forsake all for the sake of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ? Because as we learn, and as you're going to learn as you go through Luke, you, go, you read over what happened with the disciples, you're going to learn that service for the Lord Jesus Christ involves sacrifice. All right. So don't be surprised when you suddenly see yourself sacrificing time, money, efforts for the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's expected. And why not? When we think of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us, that's the very least we can do. All right. So Peter, James, and John, they forsook all and followed him. I like the idea that James and John went with him. Um, because we have that word partners in in verse ten, I said partners is a different Greek word to verse seven. In verse ten, partners is more like the idea of fellowship, all right, which is what we are here in Bencham. We are a local fellowship, a local church. So Peter was not alone in his new vocation, all right. And the wonderful thing about the fact of Our vocations as new creatures and new creations and being Christians is that we are not alone. We have each other to work together in partnership. All right? In partnership. The challenge to me, personally, is what kind of partner am I? I don't want to be a silent partner, but am I? That's a challenge to me personally. Am I a silent partner? But when we think of it, When you go through and read the Gospel of Luke, you're going to see that Peter, James, and John, they're they're mentioned quite a lot together. They were partners, not just in business, but they're partners in the fellow work and the business of catching men and women for God, which is what our job is this afternoon. We're in the business of fishing for men and women for God. And when we come to catching men, we come to think of who was called. I find it interesting that fishermen were called. I do. I find it fascinating that these fishermen were called. Because I think, if you go to the end of John, I think it tells you about seven of the twelve were fishermen. Right, just go and check that. Okay, and if I'm wrong, come back and tell me. But I think seven of the twelve were fishermen. All right? And when I think of fishermen, I, I think of the, the rod and just wading the, the river and quite lazy in afternoons. But this was very different in those days. It was, this is trawler men kind of fishermen, okay? You go up to Aberdeen and Peterhead and, you, and, and, Peter Head and you, you see what they have to go through. Okay, these are trawler men fishermen. So when I think of it, fishermen, they're not, yeah, I, I can understand why they were called. You think of what we have to do. You have to be courageous, they have to be daring to go out into the sea at all times. They have to be patient. They have to be determined. Peter, James and John were found mending their nets after a night where they've got nothing. If that had been me, I'd be walking away saying, that's me, I'm done. I'm finished. This is not for me. They'd be willing to work together. All right? We even see that in verse 7 when they called their other associates together and said, come and help us. We've got all this load. All right? we had to be willing to help each other. And we had to have a great deal of faith. They caught nothing that night. They still went back out. And they still did what the Lord Jesus Christ said. And again, they don't quit. All right? They don't quit. Courageous, daring, patient, Determined, willing to work together, willing to help each other, having a great deal of faith, and they don't quit. Now, to me, these sound like qualities us Christians in local assembly at Bencham should have together. The question is do I have all of them? All right? Are we courageous? Are we patient? Are we willing to work together? Willing to help each other? Do we have faith? Or we have that idea that we will not quit. It doesn't matter if we don't see people saved in that way straight away. It doesn't matter if we try something it doesn't work, or we do this and we do that, and we, it doesn't seem to be happening. Do we quit? No, we don't. We continue being fishermen, as the Bible would teaches to be. Five minutes. I'm going to do cleansing. Give us five. Well, can I just say? Meduzi and Jim took about 45 minutes. So I've got another, I've got another 10 minutes to go, I think. All right, I'm taking this, okay? I'm taking this. All right? But I'll be quick with this one, because the cleansing, you probably have read this before, and you can probably see the picture, can't you? Because what happens is we see the next miracle, okay? In fact, the next two miracles in Chapter 5, these next two miracles are going to lead to a confrontation with the religious rulers. All right? And what's going to happen with these religious rulers is they you would have thought they're going to hear here there's a Messiah. The Messiah has come. So you would have thought these religious rulers would have been, this is brilliant. Finally, the deliverer has come. But no. Confrontation comes. All right? So the next two miracles in chapter 5, the leper and the, uh, the, the lame man, are going to lead to confrontation with religious leaders at the time. Okay? Um, because they don't like the idea of the Lord Jesus Christ's claim to be the Messiah. And you see that, all right? You see that. And you see that because the Lord Jesus Christ heals this leper. Now, those who know their Bible better than me, please correct me if I'm wrong, but I can think of only two people who were healed of their leprosy in the Old Testament, okay? I'm not counting Moses putting his hand in and putting his hand out, okay? I'm thinking of Miriam in Numbers 12, and I'm thinking of Naaman in 2 Kings 5, all right? I can only think of two people who were healed of leprosy. So imagine the shock this priest gets when he has to perform a ceremony which he's never, ever done in his life, all right? He's going to be, a, he's going to, his ears are going to prick up, his eyes are going to be wide open. This is different. Something's happened now in Israel. Someone, someone with authority is now here. Alright? So, he had to go and he was healed. The, the, the leper was healed, but you, you probably know this. You probably know that leprosy can be seen as a picture of sin in the Bible. Alright? You go to Isaiah, and quite a lot of Isaiah's, when he's talking about the wickedness of Israel, he, he describes it as sores and illnesses. And you go to Isaiah chapter 1, he does that quite a bit. Okay? So we can see in this leprosy an illustration of sin, okay? So like sin, leprosy is deeper than skin, okay? That's in Leviticus 13. And it can't be helped by surface ailments. That's it. You've got leprosy, that is it, okay? Like sin, leprosy isolated the individual from outside of God's people. When you had leprosy, you had to leave the camp of Israel, all right? It's what does sin do to us. It separates us from God eternally if we don't have it dealt with. All right? And people with leprosy were classed as dead men walking. All right? They talk of Miriam as someone who is dead because she has leprosy in Numbers 12. All right? What does the Bible teach me about sin? It says that I'm dead in my trespasses and sin. All right? Ephesians chapter 2. So this leprosy, and what this 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 issue of sin had to be dealt with, this issue of leprosy had to be dealt with, and he couldn't do anything to fix it. Only the Lord Jesus Christ could. All right? If you've ever seen, you probably haven't seen it because you're too young, guys. If you've ever read the, 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 Dawn, the Voyage of the Dawn Treader, the Narnia story, okay, you go away and read the, picture where Eustace Scrub turns into a dragon alright, he turns into a dragon because of his greed and his selfishness and the wrong that he does and then he has a confrontation with Aslan okay and Eustace Scrub literally tries to scrub the skin from his, peels the skin from because he's turned to his dragon, I'm going to peel the dragon away, Aslan says these words it's not deep enough, it's not good enough I must do it for you. All right. Now you know C.S. Lewis was a Christian, so you know there are Christian allergies in his books. All right. So, like Aslan, this man understood that only one person could heal him of his sin and his leprosy—the Lord Jesus Christ—and so we have a wonderful picture of repentance. Look at how, look, look how he approaches the Lord Jesus in verse 12. There's an urgency about it. He besought him. He begged Jesus Christ. He was aware of his deep sense of need, and he begged him to heal him. All right? There's a submission to who he is. He, he fell on his face as if he were dead. He fell on his face, worshipping him, saying, "O oh Lord, the same Lord that Peter would call, O oh Lord. And there was confidence in in his ability. If thou wilt, thou can say, cleanse me. All right? So we have an illustration of sin. We have an illustration of repentance. Look at what the Lord Jesus Christ does in verse 15. We have a wonderful picture of salvation. Okay? But notice the compassion the Lord Jesus Christ has for this person. First of all, the Lord touched him. As a leper, that man would not have been touched for years. Just think to have a human touch. All right? The Lord... Touched him. He spoke to him and was willing to help him. He said, I will be thou clean. What are two, two reminders? Reminders that the Lord is not willing that any should perish, but all should to come to repentance. And we see the Lord in his power that was shown in the leper was healed, not partially, not gradually, but fully and immediately. All right? In Acts 16, what's the response come back? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will, will be saved. You see how we have a wonderful picture here of salvation. And then when the Lord Jesus Christ gives the leper two commands. Two commands. One is to go to the priest and to fulfill the Levitical law in Leviticus 13 or 14. I don't know which one it is, but it's... Read both of them, just in case. 14. Go to... Read go to this, uh, look. Uh, 14, okay, that's the actual ceremony you have to do, okay? So when you get home, read that, look at the two birds, okay? Come back to me and tell me what you think those two b- birds represent. I'll give you a hint. Maybe the first bird is a picture of the incarnation and death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe the second uh, bird is a picture of the resurrection and ascension, and then ask, come and tell me what you think the pouring of the water is as well. All right? So there's your homework. Read Leviticus 14. Read what they had to do. And remember all the sacrifices, all the Levitical offerings, all picture the Lord Jesus Christ in essence. All right? So come back and let me know what you think to it as well. Ultimately, I think it reminds us of the Lord Jesus Christ paid the penalty for sin. That people like you and me might be set free and delivered our sin. So there's his first commandment, go to the priest, fulfill Moses' law. Second commandment was to not tell anyone. Now we know from Mark that that's actually not what he did. In fact, Mark says he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news. He did the opposite to what the Lord Jesus Christ asked him to do. I've got my own conclusion as to why I think the Lord Jesus Christ asked him to do that, because By all this, the Lord Jesus Christ did not want popularity or fame. His miracles were not to show off. His miracles were to show his authority. Jim talked about that last Sunday as well. However, let's take an application. This man was told not to go and tell anyone, but he couldn't hold it in. That's how I like to see it. He couldn't hold it in. He had to tell someone what the Lord had done for him. What about us? Those of us who are saved and be set free from our bondage of sin, what do we do? Do we keep quiet? Do we shy away? Or do we willingly tell people what Christ has done for us? In conclusion, I want you to remember three things. Just three things, that's all, because I've rambled on. I understand that. I've gone through it quite quickly. First of all, first challenge we're going to set ourselves this week. What kind of partners are we going to be in fellowship with our local church? Are we going to be silent partners or active members? That's a challenge to me. All right. My second challenge to me, what kind of witness am I going to be for the Lord? Am I going to be silent, indifferent, timid, or am I enthusiastic to tell people what the Lord has done for me? Final challenge. All right? When confronted with the Lord's glory, his power, and his work, what is our response going to be? All right? Now, I believe how we respond to that challenge will affect how we address challenges one and two. So what's our response going to be? Is it going to be like Thomas? My Lord and my God. Shall we just pray? Our God and our Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to read thy word and to study it. Father, we know our God and our Father that there are just feeble words sometimes. We cannot do it justice. But we would pray that... As